Hey, everybody, you're listening to NC Shop Talk, brought to you by NC Carpet Binding. I'm your host, Mal Mayer. If you want to learn from some of the most innovative people in the industry and laugh a ton, then this show is for you. So let's get started. Welcome back to episode 40 of NC Shop Talk. It's not a lot compared to most podcasts, but it still blows my mind uh, thinking that we're 40 deep already. Anyway, our guest today is an absolute icon at the tender age of 50 and really probably cemented himself as an industry expert and icon well over a decade ago. And we're going to get to him in a minute. But speaking of icons, NC Shop Talk's next guest in the month of February is going to be none other than Courtney Hansen. Not sure why we didn't have Courtney on sooner, but she's coming on with us next month. Her show, Ride of Your Life, got renewed and they are currently filming season two. Any questions you'd like me to ask Courtney, fire away, either via text or on Instagram, Facebook, whatever's easier for you. Another mind blower, it's 2024 already. This is our first episode of the year, January, and there's all kinds of things happening. First and foremost, our biggest trade show of the year happens at the end of this month. It's the annual services show in Las Vegas, which is a flooring show, the nation's biggest flooring show. Truth be told, it's you know probably a third of the size it used to be, but nonetheless, still the industry's main meetup. And you know, our company was a founding member and exhibiting founder since its inception back in I think 1989. And my uncle Joe was one of the pioneers of this entire industry, and he worked the trade show circuit like no other. He was a serious businessman. He was a partier. He was lovable. He was just everything. He was kind, warm, helpful, and really nobody was more knowledgeable of the entire industry, who to contact for different things. And really, ultimately, no one is more fun than him. He was the most fun person I've ever met in my life. He knew everyone. Everybody knew him. Any old timer you talk to now will still tell you that Joe was the life of the party and they would never forget him. He could sell you lighter fluid if you were on fire and also set you up on a handshake and then give you time to pay down whatever you owed interest free. And, you know, even then who did that even into the nineties, the answer is nobody. Uh, so he was a special guy. I guess as I get older, I get more nostalgic. I, I don't know, but, uh, I want to head down a completely different path here. So let's get uh, another update in and then we're on to the main event. The NC auto interior of the year contest winner has already been announced a runaway winner. Stitches Custom Upholstery in Poolsboro, Washington put out an insanely perfect interior. It's the first near unanimous winner we've all, we've ever had. I was at SEMA and NSRA this year, and nothing I saw interior-wise held a candle to this car. If you're listening, make sure that you take a minute and congratulate Tony Miller and his talented team. They earned the heck out of it. So reach out to not only Tony, but also Jeremiah Martis and Eric Fuentes, and, you know, keep in mind, Tony was a front runner two years ago before the Young Guns Challenge, and he was a runner up, and it was close. Uh, you know, he gave RMD Garage all they could handle. A lot of companies wouldn't have re entered, and a lot of them haven't after losing or coming close to winning. Tony and his team literally came back to take what they thought was theirs with an even more impressive interior, and they succeeded. You know, my thought process on whole, that whole thing is it, if you're not putting yourself out there and going for it, in my mind, why bother? People post nonsense all day long. You might as well get your work seen by the industry and take a shot. Whenever these kind of things happen, throw your hat in the ring. You know, at the very worst, you're going to have, you know, maybe guys like our next guest taking a look at it. It's just something that, you know, you're always, you always want to get better, have benchmarks for yourselves. Moving on. One more note is we have two more contests and opportunities that we're developing right now, and I think I'll announce them next month with Courtney, so stay tuned for those. But now it's time for the main event, and I know I always say I'm excited for our next guest, but I really am. I wanted to get him on here with me when it first came out, and I think he was just too busy, and we couldn't get a, a time frame going, but we got him, and I'm thrilled to have him here. And my intro to him wasn't in person. We've never met and it wasn't on TV. I stumbled across his work on Facebook of all places. 
wasn't a Lambo or a muscle car or anything mainstream that my base-minded brain would be into. And I think it was on Rick Hoving's Facebook page. He made a post years ago when it came out and I was just mesmerized by this car. And for me, only a handful of cars have ever hit me like a ton of bricks. You're talking concourse to elegance level. And I've never really been into that. And I'm still not. It didn't change me. I still the same, I guess, boring guy I am and base-minded guy I am. But it doesn't matter. If you like C10s or army tanks, a car like this doesn't come around often that literally transcends taste and preference like this one does. It was built in 2015, so almost 10 years ago. And in my humble opinion, and this is going to upset a lot of people and a lot of customers, and this guy isn't a customer. There hasn't been a car build to me that's even come close to touching it. I, I just see it as untouchable. Our next guest was more than likely more skilled than half the industry by the age of 15. He'd already at that point had built his first custom, really a miracle resurrection resurrection of a Jeep Willys. He had the family training and pedigree behind him, but you could tell he took what he was given and turned himself in into one of the elite visionaries, fabricators, designers, and builders the industry has seen. Without further fawning, <laughs> NC Shop Talk welcomes in Rob Ida of Ida Automotive in Morganville, New Jersey. Rob, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much. That was uh, <laughs> that was quite the introduction. I'm uh, very thankful uh, for you to say things like that about me because I don't see myself that way. I see myself as you know someone who uh, works hard, takes you know any opportunity that comes my way to make the most of it, and um, and that's that's what, what I've done. So the car that you just mentioned is a 1940 Mercury. How'd you guess? That I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that I built for Jack Kiley uh, back in uh, 2015, and that was one of those opportunities where I you know I, I had a relationship with a customer that grew over time. You know, I was building cars for him for, I guess, probably 15 years at that point, or I'm sorry, about 10 years at, at that point. And, uh, and he, you know, he gave me the opportunity to do really whatever I wanted. And that's kind of the dream situation for, for a car builder. Is yeah, that's, have a, that's confidence for sure. Yeah. And you're, the intro is well-deserved and I probably didn't say enough because like I said, I didn't even know who you were. And I got, I instantly said, this is the greatest car I've ever seen. It is the that. greatest car I've ever seen. Thanks. Anyway, so my audience and friends know this, and we touched on it when we spoke the other day, but just an additional heads up is on me as a person, and I don't want to insult your professional intelligence with my lack of automotive experience. I'm not a gearhead. I'd struggle with anything beyond changing a tire in an oil change. I was raised to love cars, you know, clean them meticulously, and I guess pretty much drive them fast. That's it. So yeah. you got to deal with me. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Don't be shy about hazing me. That's fine. You can do that too. It's completely, no. completely fine. And I, you know, real ultimately on a serious note, I want to do you and your family justice, you know, with this podcast. So I hope that, uh, I hope you guys are all happy with it and not just you. I want your dad to be happy with it. I want your, you know, your family and Mr. Kylie, like you mentioned before and everybody else that you deal with that, that may tune in to say, wow, okay. You know, did the, did the Ida family justice? That's the main thing. Well, thanks. You got it, buddy. Okay. I know you've been asked this a thousand times, but please give us a quick uh, family and shop history. I mean, you've had podcasts and interviews, everyone ranging from the oil and whiskey guys to the Haggerty guys. But if you give us a little shop history, a little background and what shaped you, that would I think that would really serve well. Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up, you know, kind of in a in a car family. My uh, My grandfather owned a dealership for Tucker. And so I have this kind of connection to the Tucker car through him and um he bought a, a franchise from tucker back in 1947 and uh you know obviously that didn't last long they only created 50 cars none of which were sold through a dealership so that was kind of his beginning and end into the car dealership world so then after that he found something else to do which was have a repair shop and a gas station in brooklyn new york you know new york city and that's where he was living and raised my my father and, and, and the family in Brooklyn, in, in the city. So they had this um, kind of gas station repair shop. And then they re relocated from 
the city to the suburbs of New Jersey and then created kind of a, a bigger repair shop and a collision shop and a body shop. And that's where I grew up. So that was, that was kind of my playground. You know, I didn't, I didn't go to little league and I didn't do all these other things that a lot of kids do at, at a young age. The only exposure I really had to anything was, you know, a repair shop and kind of this junkyard setting. So we had cars laying around that were, you know, abandoned and forgotten about it. I, I had to make something of that. You know, this was what I had. And so my ultimately, curiosity. would you be, not to cut you off, but so would you be credited with bringing the custom element to it more than anything else? Yeah. So I, I would, I would say that, you know, my father was known for, um, not only like, you know, repairing cars and, and, and having a, a collision shop, but he, he also had a racing history. So in the sixties, he was involved in, in like the gas wars. So you would see, he would drive a, uh, like a blown Hemi Willys or, or the Hemi Healy, which is a, a pretty well-known gasser car that he had. So that was kind of what he was doing in New York City before I was born. And then once he moved to New Jersey, kind of took a break from all the racing and, and, and hot rods and, and any of that stuff. So I didn't really grow up in my early years around those cars. That happened, you know, when I turned around seven, then I discovered this this history that he had of race cars and, and I was just immediately you know, turned on by that. And that's, and that's kind of what I wanted to do. So then as a, as growing up, we, we would build hot rods together as a hobby, you know, father and son projects as a hobby. And then, uh, after high school, we started a hot rod shop, you know, he and I did that together and, uh, we started a hot rod shop. It was not easy. That was something that we had to build from zero. You know, we didn't have a, a big head start. We had, we had our knowledge of cars. We had our love for, you know, vintage stuff. And we, took that and we and we put everything we could into uh you know building this a brand you know in the hot rod world yeah and, uh, and that's lots of, well thanks that's lots of long hours lots of you know taking risks doing things that you don't really know how to do but you're gonna figure it out on the way and um you know you make a lot of mistakes but you also have a, a few successes in between and and that's uh you know that's kind of what drives you you know you don't let right. the you don't let the punches in the face knock you down. You know, you keep you keep coming back and you keep trying to, you know, figure it out, get better, get smarter, get more efficient. Exactly. And, you know, I didn't find that in my research. I thought your dad, you know, started you down that path, but you kind of, you know, self-started it as far as design goes. So that's really interesting to me. You know, the, the car I mentioned before in my intro and you nailed it, that 40 Merc Custom 3 window, Blue Mystery. So many Mercs have been chopped reshaped, repainted, souped up, altered over the last, I don't know, 60 years, whatever it is, 70 years at this point. How did you pull off being so different? It's really a testament, you know, to your creativity. How did you pull that off? Were you at all scared of trying it and essentially reinventing the wheel on a chopped Merc? I don't even want to call it a chopped Merc because I, I don't know. I don't know what to call it. Why don't you, you know, kind of attack that question? How'd you do it? Well, that's a great question because that was something that, you know, it, it wasn't obvious to me immediately. You know, when, when Jack Kiley came to me with the, the idea of building a 40 Merc, he already purchased an ongoing project and it was, it was actually a convertible. It was a 40 Merc chopped convertible and he had the car shipped in from wherever he bought it from. And we realized quickly that the car was not a high quality piece. It was, it was a very rusty car that was patched together and, and, um, it wasn't off to a good start. So I said, you know, Jack, we might as well just start over because what it's going to take me in money and time to get back to ground zero on this car, it would be less expensive and faster to just start with a better one and sell that car off, you know, move on to, to a, um, you know, to a virgin car. So we bought a, a 40 Merc that was in a, um, it was in a Ford Mercury or a Lincoln Mercury dealership for decades. And, um, so it was, it was a very nice car and it was stored inside in the showroom and, you know, a car like that, I, I don't feel, I don't feel terrible about cutting it up because no one really loves a 40 Merc in stock configuration, but we do right. love them as canvases for, for a custom car. And, um, you know, really no one has, has done it better than Sam Barris when he, when he chopped, um, you know, that the, the, the Matranga car way back in the beginning. So George Barris's brother was the, um, you know, was a really forward thinking coach build type gar, uh, type builder that he would take a car and make it, 
influenced by you know some of these European designs and and um, you know one of the early pioneers of customizing. So he looked he looked through his eyes at a car much differently than than we do because we look at it kind of as you know hindsight. We we saw already what he did and picked up on his influences and everyone else who's done it ever since. And so we're influenced by all these other builders and and things that we've seen and and things that we that we decide that we like and don't like. Where Sam Barris, he was the first. You know, he did this. Pioneered it. He pioneered it. You know, it, this was like his idea. So, and and it's really difficult to ever top that. So I've always loved his car, and I always wanted to build one. And so when it came time to to do this thing, first idea was, yeah, it's going to look like you know Sam Barris chop because of course why why wouldn't it you know it's that's perfection um and then as we started to get into it and i cut the roof off and i moved it down and started to move things around when you stare at something long enough you start to get past maybe that initial uh feelings that you have and you start to look closer at lines and things and and so i'm thinking well i'm not going to ever top what he's done you know and and he's he's done it better than anyone and and it's been done many times ever since so maybe we we do our own thing and forget that style car and just look at this car through my eyes and decide what it is i would do to this if i was not influenced by looking at the sam barris car or all the other cars so um that came to playing with proportions so i'm really big on proportions i love to look at a car and not just make changes for the sake of making changes. I, if I'm going to make a change, it needs to have a reason. And the reason would be to improve it. And if you're going to improve proportions or lines or, or the, just the way things line up, that's a reason to make a change. Not just to cut the roof off and weld it back on because right. that's not a real reason. So um, I had that car cut into lots of pieces and I would just move them around move them around maybe by four inches or maybe by an eighth of an inch. You know, it just depends on what it is I'm trying to achieve and just stare at it. And I would stare at it from a hundred feet away and get closer, move around all different elevations until everything that I looked at kind of made sense to me. And and the proportions were what I wanted. You know, I really wanted to puff up those fenders and, uh, and have that kind of swooping back. Yeah. And uh, so that's what we did. We, we moved all the parts around until we, liked the you know the, the silhouette the profile and then the, from all the other angles and then now how to fabricate the parts to fill in those gaps you know because when you're just moving stuff around roughly you could leave a big hole but now you have to fill that hole and you have to do that with shaped metal you uh, could talk about the so, all the different elements a million of them and the car pulls you in so many different directions but just looking at it i see so many design cues right i mean in for me, it's it's sexy at the same time. Flaws, a meticulous. I don't know. Is it aviation feel under the hood? Almost reminds me of like a P fifty one. I don't know why. I don't know if I'm off base on that, but that's what it made me think of. Then the exterior just exudes class with the smooth, innovative lines, the perfect color to complement the chrome and all the different nuances and customizations you made. I just can't recall a car. That can take you down so many feelings, whether you're looking in, out, under, under the hood. It's just, it's mind blowing. And that car is, it's a masterpiece. I, there's not, I can't imagine anything that you could definitively say is better. I just can't. Yeah, well, thanks. And, and it, we really, really strive for that balance, right? So when, when we look at the car, we want you to not remember just one thing, right? We want yeah. the car to be interesting inside and out, top and bottom. Uh, from every angle, you know, I want inside the trunk to be as as memorable as under the hood, and you know, and, and the suspension and chassis and belly pan. So all those things that that we've made, you know, every piece is handmade on the car. And it, when you're doing that, it is so easy to overdo it because when you're making every part, you're oh, trying yeah. to make every part the star of the show. And when you try to make every part the star of the show, you have a circus act when you're done. Exactly, there's too many stars in the show, and you don't want that. So practicing restraint by looking at the big picture and keeping that big picture in mind the whole time is pretty difficult to do. It's, it's pretty difficult to balance it when you're dealing with Yeah, it's with a the daunting task. task. Yeah. yeah. Like you want to be yeah. over the top, but not gaudy. You don't want to be underwhelming because what's the point? You, 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 yeah. you know, and touching on one other thing, 
that I noticed, because I don't want to forget, because I was supposed to say this first, and then as I was reading my little cues here, I changed. It just, in addition to the way it looks sitting still, it just, I don't know, hits different the way it heads down the road, the way it looks heading down the road. It seemingly floats a half inch off the ground. If you can, get mechanical on us here. I'm not going to understand a tenth of what you say, but I'm sure everybody else will. So if you could elaborate on the chassis, the stance, the tire and the suspension choices, and kind of what I said, if anyone, if anyone's ever seen it heading down the road in videos, it's just, it's magical. It just, it's like a carpet ride. It just looks like it's floating. Yeah. I mean, it, it's so important to us that the car has the, the proper stance and with that car, it, it's on air suspension. So you could lower it all the way down but you don't really ever see me display the car that way. I leave some air in it and I keep the nose a bit higher than the back. And that's really the best way for that car to, to be seen. And so it has kind of this early European look. Now, when Etzel Ford was working on bringing Lincoln and Mercury into the Ford Motor Company, he did this with some resistance. So Henry Ford was not interested in his, in his concept of having fancy cars in the Ford Motor Company, where Etzel Ford knew that the future was about giving the customers, you know, cars that they can get excited about. It's not just transportation. Right. These cars are also something to be excited about. They need to be beautiful. And and General Motors now, you know, had Cadillac and, and they were building beautiful cars. And then they looked to Europe and, and the cars that they were building in Europe were just beautiful. So uh, Mercury and Lincoln was Etzel Ford's attempt to bring design into the Ford Motor Company. And so my idea was, what if Etzel was able to build a car for the Paris Auto Show in 1940 without any resistance from Henry, and he was able to make this car with a coach builder in France, what would it look like? And so what, what, what happened was coach builders would get like a running chassis. So it would, it would have an engine in a chassis that runs, steers, drives, and stops with a nose and a cow. And then the coach builder would make the rest of the body. Okay. So that was kind of the idea of what we did here. So we redesigned everything from the cow back and, uh, and made all of that. And we did it in a way that looks like possibly a French coach builder would have done it at that time for Ford Motor Company to display at the Paris Auto Show. Wow. And so that was the, the design theme. So everything that we did for the car is designed to look that way. Now, it does have modern technology, so it has a modern engine, but the engine is displayed in a way that looks like it could have happened in, you know, in the 40s. Was my uh, P51 reference a little bit on point or totally off base? Yeah, so, the, I mean, there's definitely the the, uh, the aircraft feeling of the belly pan. So the belly pan and under the hood, you know, has rivets and it has leather straps and it has things on it that you might find on an aircraft. But I think probably the thing that really makes you recognize this is the fact like the belly pan is not polished or painted. It's mill finished aluminum. Right. And so even though the parts are all hand shaped and and finished, we didn't finish them to chrome. We just were to polish. We finished them to just metal. And it's it's just mill finished it's perfect. metal. And it's a, that's a risk too because the outside of the car is per, is perfectly finished. And then you go yes. under the hood. Right. Oof, you know, I mean, that was a risk. And you, I mean, were you scared of that? Did that scary a little, or were you? Confident? No, no I, I I feel those those things. And okay. so some people said, "Oh, you should have went for the Riddler Award with that car." And so for me, the Riddler Award is not really a, a place where I'm I'm interested in in building a car for, because you do tend to have to go overboard, and that's what those cars are about. So they're all you know, a bit overdone. And this car, if I was going to prepare it for the Riddler Award, I probably would have either painted that belly pan to death or chromed it or something over the top. And what I love about it is that it's not that, right. is that it's, you can see all the work is there. It's not that we took a shortcut, but we didn't polish it to the point where it's ridiculous. It's, it's, you, you can see the workmanship in it and it's still there. Right. And, um, and that's what appeals to me about that. So when when you look at the belly pan and all the suspension under that car, when it's stationary, everything fits and, and looks great in, in, in position. But you also have to realize that it's articulated. So all the parts move and everything 
stays finished looking in any position. So if the car is on a lift with the suspension completely collapsed, it looks great. When it's has air in it and it's at, at ride height, it still looks finished. Yeah, the uh, videos of it going down the road are just they're just different. You know that I, I noticed the pitch on the 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 front end up a little higher than the I just everything it's just mind blowing. This is an observation, and I don't know if you follow the auction circuit, but that Hirahata, I think it's Hirahata. I hope I didn't butcher his name. God forgive me if I did, or he could forgive me. Hirahata Custom Mercury went for a million nine in twenty twenty two, and if that car went for a million nine, I can't see your Blue Mercury under three. It's got to well, be a $3 million plus car. Well, the, the difference there is the collectability and the history, right? So the Hirahata car is, you know, a pioneer in the custom world. It's a very famous, you know, it's a Barris build. And I think that when you buy that car, that's what you're buying, right? You're buying that history and, and you can't just make that happen. So the Kylie Merc, you know, it, it has a great history, but it's also only 10 years old. What will happen when that car is 50 years old? Maybe, maybe it'll be in a path like that. I, I don't know. You know, I mean, I hope so, but you don't know. I mean, there there are a lot of people who, even though it was creative and stylish and checked all the boxes, they simply don't like it because it was done now. You know, they they only want things that were done 50 years ago, you know? So yeah. there's that, and it's two different things. If you so, put that thing in Barrett-Jackson in a decent economy, it's not leaving there under two. There's no, no one's anything like it before. Not leaving there under two. Yeah. You know, I could never predict that kind of a thing, but yeah, uh, I, I mean, I don't, see, I don't, I don't see that happening. Even ugly things that no one sees, they pay up for because it's different. And this thing is just a work of art, but all right, moving on from this car. Cause I could talk about it all day. <laughs> if I'm reading you right, you're the kind of guy that has a thought process and thinks essentially if it isn't hard, I'm just not interested. Am I right in saying that? Well, it, I don't go for things simply be, because they're hard, but it seems like the things I'm interested in end up being difficult. And, <laughs> you know, so, so there, is the, there is the mindset that, you know, I don't really love doing the same thing twice. You know, I, I, I always like to do something new and different. And with that usually becomes a higher degree of difficulty. Yeah. Um, you know, gotcha. And it, you know, my education in this thing is really about, you know, being poor. You know, I didn't, I wasn't able to pay anybody to do anything. You know, so I had to learn, you know, I had to learn, yep. yeah, yep. I had to, had to do everything I wanted. So if I had, a, 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 you know, a thought, some kind of a, some kind of an idea of how to, what I wanted it to be, well, that's one thing, but now I have to figure out how to get there. How do I make it happen? And with limited resources, you have to rely on uh, deep thinking. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I try to have a, you know, a, a full understanding of how to do everything that, that, we do and and uh and how to get these cars done but yeah i do tend to get wrapped up in these complicated projects i like that i get bored from the mundane things i do and i'll never ever approach your level of craftsmanship but i could so i could understand it um, a good majority of our audience is composed of auto interior professionals which i'm sure you know and i had the question uh, selfishly, does Ida Automotive have an in-house upholsterer? If not, who do you sub the workout to? So I I was uh, the in-house upholsterer for a long time. I've done many interiors myself. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Is and there anything from, you I, can't do? Well, I mean, everybody's better than me at it. But yeah, <laughs> I've done some, some interiors, you know, that that did okay. But currently, we do not. We do not do interiors in-house, and and reason being is that we have some really good friends that are very talented and available upholstery guys. So the one thing that we're not doing in-house now, there's, well, there's two things. There's chrome plating, although we do all of our own metal finishing, all of our own prep work for the plating process, but we just sub the process of the plating out. Right. And we've been subbing our upholstery work out. And uh, some of our favorites are Mike Lippincott. He goes by Mikey Seats. He's located here in New Jersey. Very talented guy. Bruce Devlin. Uh, he's been around a long time. If you know Bruce, he's also here in New Jersey. And Bruce is really a great guy for restoration work. So like if we're going to restore Tucker and we want everything as accurate as can be, yeah, super high quality, Bruce okay. is our guy. You know, Mike is a super 
talent and very creative. He has more of a custom touch, you know, to his work. And um, so depends on the project, you know, who we feel is, you know, is the most appropriate for it. Also, Rich Perez uh, from RP Interiors in, yep. uh, in Edson, New York. He's a, he's a great guy. He's done a few of our cars. And then, yeah, I mean, we still do some minor things in-house, but uh, for the most part, we're well-supported with uh, with those guys. Nice. Uh, I, had to, I had to get an interior question in at some point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, also, just... one, one great thing for me is when I get a car to the point of needing an upholstery, it, it's it's to the point where I really need a break, too. And, and I'm happy to watch that car go away for, you know, a month. <laughs> yeah, take a break. <laughs> I know. Let somebody else work on it for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I let's fast forward. I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. Oh, no, I'm just saying I look forward to that break. Just to get, yep, get it gone. Yeah. All right, we're going to fast forward to a modern day build. And in my research, I found this mind-blowing, and I have a thousand questions, but I can only answer, ask you a handful, so I hope I nail them for what everyone wants to hear. In 2005, the Ford GT was produced. It was a huge product launch, just enormous and was met with accolades, excitement, the whole nine. However, <laughs> it apparently wasn't good enough for you and your dad. Tell us about what you found the car's shortcomings to be and take us through what you and your dad knew the car needed. So we're talking about the 2005, 2006 Ford GT? Yes. Okay. So that, it is a great car. It is absolutely a fun car and it's beautiful. A couple of problems that those cars were delivered with cooling system, uh, is one of them. The air intake is, is is a problem for that car. And, you know, I mean, now we're getting to the point where these cars are needing restoration work. You know, they're they're getting old. You know, these cars are uh, not new cars anymore, even though they look like it, they're they're getting old. Um, so we're, we still get those cars in for some restoration work on them. But for the most part, that car, it, it needed a, a couple of things to be like a better track car, even a better street car. So we sorted those things out. And now we have the more modern Ford GT, the, the 2020. Uh, All right, hold on, stop for a sec. Okay. I couldn't figure out in, in what I was reading, did you present these flaws and recommendations to Ford? No, no. no. Okay. Uh, I was kind of hoping that that was the case, you know, just out of curiosity, how does one pick up the phone and, you know, dial up Henry Ford the third on speed dial to, hey, listen, Hank, we got a problem. Yeah. Well, we do communicate. No, we do communicate with with Ford. We do. Oh wow. Um, okay. But I mean, are we going to teach them anything? No, no, we're not. You know. Okay. But but if, but if we can be helpful to them and we could share, you know, just some some experience in testing, you know, we're always happy to do that. Yeah. And, so I kind of I guess I misread that or let my uh, you know let my imagination run wild. It went in ten different directions in subsequent years. Has Ford picked your brain on things or any big wig OEMs say, hey, we want your advice on this. Anyone come to you with things like that or they kind of keep things close to the vest for the most part? Well, we did uh, we did those dollar vehicles with Ford uh, for SEMA uh, for uh, probably 10 years where we would work on a brand new vehicle. They would send us a, a brand new Ford Motor Company vehicle and we can customize it in any way we want. We can let them know what it is that we're doing and, and uh, you know, kind of share that information and then present the car at SEMA. So we did that with them for, for, for some time. I haven't done one in, in, in years now just because we're, you know, just too busy to do that. But that and, and yes, definitely with the Ford GTs, we've communicated with them, you know, on, on some ideas and, and things like that. Yeah. But for the most part, what we do is mostly vintage cars. You know, the Ford GT is kind of a, you know, a, unusual case for us just because we happen to like those cars yeah and then this is another direction completely but i know it's important to you tell everybody i guess about a local event or you know whatever whatever it is i'm not sure of how often it occurs but you were briefing me on the asbury park circuit that you're involved with can you tell everybody about that yeah yeah the asbury park circuit is it, it's a very informal, loose gathering for car people. It's not a car show. You know, there's no trophies. There's no judges. There's no tickets to get, you know, to pull into a parking lot and park somewhere. It's really just in the city of Asbury Park, which is a fun town here in New Jersey. It's it's a beach town. So it's it's right on the ocean. It's known for its music scene. So you have like the Wonder Bar and the Stone Pony here, you know, these famous music venues that are still, still catering to the rock and roll uh, scene. And um, that's the backdrop for the 
for the Asbury Park circuit. So the circuit started in, I believe it was 1954, and it went on strong until the late 80s. And then the city of Asbury Park kind of took a downturn and and um, and well, we're not coming back to the circuit and things changed here. And it just lay dormant. And um, about three years ago, myself and a, and a group of friends got together and started to uh, just come here with our cars. I, I live here now. I, I live in this town. Okay. And uh, started to come here with our cars and just park them in front of these bars and restaurants all, all over town. And next thing you know, with social media, we have a few hundred cars here like every Thursday night. Wow. And, uh, That's awesome. It's, it's great. It's it's awesome. We're, we're, we're having cars come in from, you know, six hours away just for a Thursday night to hang out for a couple of hours. And it's, Holy it's, cow. You know, you're, it, you guys are essentially responsible for boosting uh, a small percentage of the Asbury Park, um, you know, I, I guess monthly revenues with your meetup. That's that's great. Yeah, it's been a really a lot of fun. And, uh, and you know, the city likes us because we're, you know, we, we try to make everybody aware that this is not a racetrack. You know, you can't be doing burnouts here in town. You have to be respectful. People are here to visit the beach or they, they live in town. They're not looking to get run over by, you know, somebody doing a burnout. Exactly. You know I mean? And and the town knows that that's what we're trying to, uh, you know, make happen here. It should be a, exactly. a fun, not a bunch of troublemakers. You know? Yeah. Your family has been a part of the nation's car culture for decades. Obviously, we've gone over that. But if you can... Please give us a short elite list of other visionaries. I know you already mentioned uh, uh, Sam Barris and automotive experts. So that stand that have stood out above the rest. You got Barris. I'm going to put you in there. I mean, who else is up there? Not to completely put you on the spot, but who are the best of the best over the years? Well, I mean, a couple of my really good friends are, you know, people that I, I admire. I, I have to mention Gene Winfield, right? Yep. The guy, 97 years old and still doing the best he can to create cars and be with his car community, right? He loves his car community. Yeah. When 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 you open one of his books, if you don't know anything about Gene Winfield, and and I'm I'm going to be honest, in the beginning, I didn't know everything that he did. I knew him for some of the uh, you know TV cars and you know some of the really outrageous things that he did. And that's just kind of what I thought he was about. I didn't know the true history of everything that exists in Gene Winfield's body of work. And if you get his book, you're going to see race cars and customs and hot rods. I mean, he's 97 and I still don't know how he built as many cars in 97 years. I mean, it looks like it's 300 years worth of work. Wow. I can't believe how many cars he's built and how many ideas and how many things that he's done. And, and you'll open up a hot rod magazine from the, from the sixties. And he was the photographer and the writer. I mean, he did it all. Yeah. Well, so, I knew you were going to bring him up. So yeah. the next question to piggyback this, we can go back to other guys as well, but you bought a 1948, oh wait, 32. there's a 32 roadster that he, that he built custom built, you know, customized in 1948 was it? And you bought it? Yeah, he so ended up to what year? What year did you get it from him? Well, he never owned the car. This oh, okay. this was a car that he built for a customer. It was the first car that he ever worked on mm -hmm. for a customer. Okay, wow. So he moved to California. Yeah, someone uh, kind of told me the story halfway. I didn't read it, yeah. but um, I thought it was his that he and okay. Well, he, he maintained it and built it and everything right. else. Correct. He built it. Uh, it was the first car he ever worked on for a customer back in 1948. Uh, he he did a couple of um, you know, small custom jobs to it, and then he um, then the car changed hands, and the next owner was Pete Hisher, and that's what it's known as is the Pete Hisher um, roaster. Pete Hisher had Gene build it, so Gene built the car. He did the suspension, the body, did the whole car back in '54. Basically, the car looks the same now, and I mean it's it, a couple of things have changed. The, the car was owned by um, by Bob Whitehead after Peter Hitcher. He put the Arden uh, heads on it, so it has original Arden heads on that on that blown uh, flathead. When you look at that car, it has chrome that's seventy five years old underneath. You know, Gene customized that axle and he put those brakes on and the firewall and he put a, a genuine Auburn dash in there. These are the, the kinds of things that people are building now as their fantasy vintage styled hot rod, but. That's the original car, you know. He he did that car, and and he uh, 
used all those you know genuine parts 75 yeah. years you know it's, it's exactly and it's still standing up you know, it still drives i still drive it if you come yeah. to the asbury park circuit on a thursday night you'll see it there you know i mean yeah it's a, it's amazing yeah. so and you but, bought it you know obviously you adore the car but i'm sure gene had a big part of that yeah so Just but, the fact that it was that he had his hands on it and he built it absolutely yeah when, when i when i called him to find out about it during the uh the transaction you know, he's like, oh, yeah, I, I built that car four times in my life. You know, I built it for for this guy. And then when that guy bought it, I did this for him. And I repainted yeah. it for that guy. Yeah. That's so awesome. He's- That's a great story. But you talk about a car that is essentially 75 years old, modified 75 years old. It's a 32, but modified for and kept and customized and maintained, you know, since 1948. That's that's incredible. Pretty wild. Yeah. That is, that is wild. Um, you know, I wanted Gene on the show. And he actually said he was up for coming on with me. And if I'm overstepping my bounds here, then, you know, stop me. Uh, but when I spoke to his manager or whomever is, you know, handling him online, let's just say in a word, this particular person was difficult. So I punted. And I'll be honest, I, I'm still bummed about it. I would love to have him on and I'm sure everyone would love to hear from him. Is he doing okay? You know? He is, yeah. He's he's doing amazing, and in fact, I might see him here in my shop next month. Uh, we're talking right. about having him come out for you know a, a class. He likes to give classes on metal shaping and and welding and and all these techniques that he's picked up over his lifetime. He he likes to share that stuff with people. And, yeah, um, I can tell just from watching. I mean, I've been watching stuff on him for years, and he's just the passion that comes through him is is unmatched. I, I don't. You, it's very hard. To yeah. find someone more passionate about anything, much you know, cars obviously, but just anything. I mean, the guy is super passionate. He really is, yeah. And it just and pours out of him. Share. Loves to share that stuff. So yeah. um, he'll probably be back, you know, by my shop in the next couple of months for a class. He's done two already, and they've always sold out immediately. And he he really likes doing it. Yeah. Well, I hope that he can listen to this and enjoy it about you, about him, and you know what he means to you and what he means to you know anybody that. Is into cars I and mean, he's just you know he's that big you know big of an icon you know as big as it gets and we touched on it already most of you guys know the idea family with the strong ties to the tucker family and the tucker car and you guys have essentially you know had great relationships with their family and and vice versa it, it's and just been tied to tucker forever i think it was sema 2018 maybe 2019 and i saw that twin turbo tucker that was just magnificent i mean you know, I still liked my 30, 40 Merc, but I saw that and there was a crowd around it and no one else anywhere else. They were all just there looking at it. It was the 46 uh, Tucker Torpedo concept car that you did. But the most riveting thing for me uh, before I saw it out there is, I, I believe, or shortly thereafter on, on social media was that you developing that rotating seat assembly. Oh yeah, yeah. That was yeah for, for the. Torpedo. What was yeah, the functionality was, of that? What was the thought? Was it just to be able to do it? Did you have an idea? What? What? Tell us about the rotating seat. Okay, so the um, the the concept of that car never came to fruition with Tucker because you couldn't get in or out of the driver's seat. So he had a center drive, and which was great for visibility, right? So you're kind of in this half globe windshield, but getting from the from the door to the seat was very odd right you'd have to open up this gullwing style door and walk to your seat and it just didn't make any sense yeah so so they got away from that idea and then they they ended up making the tucker 48 which had you know the more traditional style squared off roof with a you know left-hand drive and and a passenger side and a driver side door where you could just open a door and sit down um so that's why they never made that car so my idea was well we can solve the entry and exit problem if we make the seats move. So now you can open the door, sit down just like you would in any car, and then the whole floor and the seating attached to it rotates and puts you in front of the steering wheel, wow. center of the car. So in my mind, that's the way to make that shaped body work. So uh, I worked with Sean Tucker, and Sean Tucker is the great-grandson of Preston Tucker, and he's an engineer, and so together we developed this system where those seats can move and rotate and lock into place, and that's uh, what we thought would have been the solution uh, for Preston Tucker. 
I could tell you what else it could be a solution for. My dad's best friend growing up had polio since the age of two. So being in a wheelchair around the clock, and he was literally like a second dad to me, a best friend, second husband to my mom, best friend and brother to my dad, me and my sister and the whole, anyone he met, it would be, he was their best friend. He was incredible, most incredible human being you could think of. Anyway, long story longer, all the years of being with him and around the community of um, you know disabled community, seeing how difficult it is to get in and out of the cars, to navigate inside the car, to get to the back seat, to pull your chair out, put it onto the, you know, put it into the street before they had the automatic ramps. And a lot of guys still can't afford the automatic ramps. They do it manually. But that whole rotating seat assembly really could be vital to the disabled community and may go a long way in helping them be a lot more accessible, being able to navigate their vehicles with greater ease and comfort. That's the first thing I thought of when I saw it. I've always wanted to talk to you about that. And it may be something that could really, you know, change somebody's life. Just my uncle would be annoyed as he got older, just having a hell of a time. And he, he had a chair that could spin inside his van, but still it wasn't enough. He wanted more mobility. So if he can get to two or three positions with inside a car, that would have been a complete home run for him. Yeah. Way less stress and strain on his arms and his shoulders and everything else, just push of a button, boom, I'm here, pull of a lever, boom, I'm there. I'm in on this position, I'm out on this position, and then I swing into the driver's seat, I'm locked in and I'm gone. That is, you know, that could be life-changing for somebody. So we built a 57 Chevy Suburban. And uh, so my customer, he had a lot of cars that he wasn't able to use because his wife had MS. So she was in a wheelchair, and now all these collectible cars that they used to enjoy at car shows now they couldn't use them. So he asked me to build him a 57 Suburban and outfit it for a wheelchair, but also easy access for his wife to get in and out of. So uh, working with uh, Bob Cuneo on this one, we made the uh, passenger side of the vehicle open with uh, two doors. So it had a traditional style passenger door and then a center door that opened up. So now you had this very wide opening that a uh, the passenger seat then powered out and came down to uh, wheelchair level. So she was able to just kind of scooch over into the seat and then it brought her back up into the vehicle, locked her in place. And then around back, there was a lift for the wheelchair itself, which locked it in, all hands free, locked it in, closed the gate down and they were on their way. So that was a purpose-built vehicle for her needs. And, you know, it made her life easier when they want to go. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could have a, you could have a huge hand in accelerating, you know, accessibility to a lot of people. I, I just, I mean, if anyone could do it, you could. Um, I did another vehicle too, that it had a, a, a very small door opening. So that had a real low chop top and suicide style door and getting in and out of it past the, the steering wheel and steering column was the challenge. Mm. So I made it, as you open the door, the steering column automatically moved out of the way. It kind of swung over to the passenger, uh, like passenger side. So now it gave you full access to back into the car, sit in your seat, and then as you close the door, the steering column comes right back into place. Yeah. And uh, so that's another exit. This this torpedo, you were pulled off this project. Uh, yeah. So I, I we we had a, a, a disagreement over the car. We're not really over the car, over something else, and then it turned into be you know, that we're not going to do the car anymore. And he was going to bring it somewhere else to get it finished faster. Oh, God. And it never, never came back. No, no. Okay. And I won't have it back. Um, but I'm working on, I hear you. Yeah. I'm working on the Tucker Carioca now, which is our newest project. And this is a personal project. So I, I own the car. It's a concept based on Preston Tucker's final design. Okay. So the torpedo he was working on in 1946, mm -hmm. before he made his 50 Tucker cars that we all think of when, when we think of Tucker, after that company closed, that he moved to South America and he started working on a new car that was called a Tucker Carioca. And this was a little sports car. Imagine like a Porsche Speedster. So now we're talking about a an air-cooled four-cylinder flat opposed engine in, in the rear, light, nimble, uh, aluminum body, independent suspension, and basically, a, you know, a, a small sporty version of what the Tucker 48 was. So it's still three headlights and, you know, kind of that, 
that V windshield, um, that bull nose bumper. And um, so those styling cues are built into this car, but it's a very sporty version of that. So we're building that car now. Bob Cuneo is working with us on that. We have the chassis pretty much completed now. It has a Franklin engine. Tucker owned Franklin. So it has that. It has the correct engine in it. And we're just starting now to make the body. You know, that's going to be the, the next part of the of the plant. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that too because you kind of touched on it. So that's great that it came up organically in the conversation. You know, I'd just go real light here and have some fun. I want to put you on our NC Shop Talk rapid fire hot seat. I'll present you a series of questions, you know, nothing heavy, nothing difficult, just fun, just quick answers uh, for each question, whatever comes to mind, and I'll just fire away at you. Ready to go? Yeah. All right. This is going to have a little bit of a New Jersey flavor, being that we're both from New Jersey. Both of our families are from New Jersey. So we'll start out real easy. What's your daily driver right now? My daily driver is a 63 and a half Ford Galaxy. Okay. Outside of the Willys that you built when you were young, what's your all-time favorite daily driver? That's tough, man. I've had so many cool daily drivers. I drove a uh, a, a 63 Corvair for, for years, a 63 Beetle for years as my daily driver. I've always driven hot rods or some kind of cool cool cars my daily. I've, I've never okay. really had. You can't pick one. I can't pick one. No, can't pick I, one. All right, that's fair. Like, like today, right now, is my 63 and a half Galaxy because that's what I'm driving. Right. And I did see that on the Haggerty uh, interview. What's your favorite New Jersey beach town? Asbury Park. That's where I live. Figured that was coming. Why I live there. Yeah. Outside of New Jersey, all-time favorite vacation spot. Where are you going? Well, we went to Florence uh, and Rome last year in, in Italy, and that was fantastic. Uh, so I would probably do that again. That's why Doesn't sound like a bad idea. Sounds like a good good time eating alone. Favorite car movie? My favorite car movie is... Uh, well, Tucker. Tucker, the man and his dream. That's my favorite car movie. Okay. Favorite car show? You know, I never really watched any car shows. Oh, no, we're talking about a car show on TV or- you know, like or a car show even from childhood. Like car mine, car. when I was seven, Duke's Hazard came out and I was, you know, it grabbed me and then the A-team. So yeah. to this day, I still have a soft spot in my heart for both of those uh, shows. They're horrible. But <laughs> and if I had to say what's your favorite all-time car show, I'm going to have to concede and say that the Duke's a Hazard. Um, yeah. Okay. I did watch that as a kid. Yeah. Not the, the, today's car shows, whatever. I, I don't even watch them. The most famous person in your phone contacts. Well, I have some athletes in there that you probably know. Um, he's the most famous person. I, that's hard to say. There's, there's, there's quite a few in there, uh, but I don't really like to talk much about that. Okay. You don't have to, no big deal. As a kid growing up and you're customizing and doing everything, was the Willys your your dream car, or what was your dream car back then? Yeah, so the Willys has always kind of been it for me. And as I said, when I was when I was a kid, and I found my father's scrapbook, and I saw his his Gasser, his Hemi Healy, and his Willy sedan. Okay. So I always loved those cars. So when I was when I was a kid, our first father son project was a forty one Willys pickup, and to this day, that's still my favorite vehicle. And they don't make any sense. They're tiny. Nobody could fit in them. You know, they're not, they're not extremely valuable. It, none of them is yeah. important. You know, I just love them. And, and that, that Willie's that Rob made when he was a teenager, a young teenager is better than most you'll see made today, period. It's scary. Very scary. All right, let's get into the New Jersey thing. You ready? Best pizzeria in New Jersey. Lay it uh, on me. It is uh, Del Ponte's in Bradley Beach. Yeah? I never tried that one. What's oh, it called again? Del Ponte's. Okay, because I love going to Bradley. And okay. I have, I, I don't think I've eaten pizza there. Oh, uh, really? Oh, yeah. yeah, whenever so, we've gone to Bradley, I always get the fruit bowls because you're always on the beach, you're hot, and that's just like a meal replacement, you know? Yeah. Well, it's um, either, yeah, I'm a, either Del Ponte's or Di Lorenzo's. Those are my two favorites. Yeah, Di Lorenzo's I've heard is good. One of these days, I got to make it there as well. Delucia, Star Tavern. You know, those are probably my two favorites. Mm -hmm. And if you live in New Jersey or Pennsylvania, you will get this. Is it pork roll or is it Taylor ham? Uh, see, I don't know because we never ate that when I was a kid. And I hear this, I hear this all the time. I hear this argument all the time. Everybody's arguing about that. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't have a side. I didn't eat it as a kid either. But growing up where we were in Northern New Jersey, everyone called it Taylor ham. And as I got older, 
I tasted it for the first time. It probably wasn't until I was 20. It's incredible. I mean, it's salty. It's, you know, it's just great. But so I can't even get in the fight with you over that. I figured we were going to argue over that. And I actually, <laughs> truth be told, North Jerseyans, forgive me, but it is pork roll. That's the product. Taylor Ham is just a brand. So it's pork roll. The current project in the shop we talked about. This is a weird one. I don't know if you could even answer it because I'm sure there's been so many. But every build has its challenges. If you could pinpoint the biggest challenge or even an obstacle that you guys had to overcome on a build that just drove you crazy, which car was it and how'd you overcome it? That's tough. I mean, they're all challenging. You know, every one of them is different with a new set of challenges. And and as I said earlier, we do tend to get these very complicated builds and so sometimes I feel like, why do I keep doing this to myself? Why do I keep getting these very complicated things? Why don't I do something that's repeatable? And uh, I don't know. I think I'm just a glutton for punishment. So I'm used to that. Every one of them comes with with major challenges. So right now I'm working on this Mercedes-Benz uh, Pullman 600 six-door limousine. And what a complicated car this is to work on. Everything about it was hydraulically operated and um, and with air suspension and very specialized parts. Mm-hmm. It's a handmade car by Pullman, and it is a very difficult car to work on. So all new to me. I've never worked on, on one before, but I'm learning what I need to do to, to make this car operate and work. And we're also customizing it, too. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I could pinpoint one. I think they're all difficult. Everything. Yeah. yeah. There wasn't a time where you said, you know what? We got to punt on this thing and just go in a new, different direction because we can't overcome it or do something that we wanted to do. Like that kind of angst, that kind of anger never came to that. Well, I mean, you know, that's that's part of every decision you make, you know, and and now you try to make these decisions early on and say, well, I'm looking at it like that's going to be a problem, so I'm going to kind of think it out before I get there and then yeah. uh, try to avoid these problems. Right. Yeah. See, I would just railroad right into the problem and, and be screwed. <laughs> but with experience, <laughs> you start to, uh, you know, try to yeah. avoid those problems. Right. Is there an up-and-coming young gun Rob Ida out there that people aren't aware of yet, but they will be soon enough? Oh, you know, there are so many talented people, my God. And with social media, you're able to follow people from around the globe, you know, and it's not who the magazine says that you should pay attention to. It's whoever you decide you want to pay attention to because you found them online somehow and and found them interesting. I'm amazed how many talented people are, are out there doing this either as a hobby or professionally. It's crazy to me. And what I really love is the fact that, you know, now we have access to each other and, and you can, you can get help or knowledge. And some people are, you know, very much willing to share knowledge Yeah. and there's nothing in it for them. And, and I've always been that way. You know, I'm not worried about competition or anything like that. I'd, if I can help somebody, I'm happy to do it. And I don't have all the answers, but if something that I'd learned can help you, I'm all for, I'm all for that. But to answer your question, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer that question. There's just so many talented people. I can't yeah. believe it. Yeah. I don't know if you had your eye on someone and say, you know what, Mal, this this kid is going to be special. He's going to be, he's going to be elite one day. I don't know if there was if there was someone out there. Just trying to be creative in the questions. If there's such an animal, and there may not be, because <laughs> you you definitely seem like you're going to do what drives you, what your passion is. But is there a car out there you've never worked on before that you still want to tackle one day? No, I don't know if I have an answer for that one either. Right now, I have two Jaguars in the shop, and I've always admired Jaguars for their styling and the mechanical. Um, you know, they were very far ahead of their time as far as suspension goes and and engines. So I had never really messed with those too much. And I got into hot rodding Porsches for a while, and that was a lot of fun. So now I think Jaguar is probably the, the the lineage that I'm looking at next. Okay. I have a customer's Jaguar in there now. It's an E-Type that we've totally redesigned. And uh, and I have my own XK120 that I'm doing some things to, to customize. So yeah, I'm pretty excited about those two. Well, listen, this was incredible. Like I said, I truly hope that I did you, your dad, your family justice with the questions and the direction on the podcast. I tried to be a little different. And I just, like I said, I hope you guys all like it. At the end of the day, your family liking it, Every anyone that we interview, family, friends, they get the biggest kick out of it, right? And then we all kind of get the benefit from it. You know, I do hope they like it and that it just just maybe came off a little different than some of the others you've done. Yeah, well, I appreciate you thinking that way because that is important to me. I tried my best, Rob. My wife and daughters will listen to it for sure. And I'm glad. I will. 
Girls, hope you guys love it. And Rob, thanks for coming on with us. I know everyone else is going to love this episode and it's definitely different from any of the others we've done. So uh, thanks for being part of it. Thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it. All right, buddy. Thank you. Good night. Thanks for listening in today, everybody. If you learned something new and liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe for more NC Shop Talk. Do me a favor and help us grow this sucker. Share this show on your social media feeds and with anyone else who'd love to hear it. Thanks for giving us a listen. And until next time, remember to get out there and make it happen.